Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is illustrator and author, Melissa E.Y. Richard Scarry said, it's a precious thing to be communicating to children, helping them discover the gift of language and thought. Among other topics, Melissa talks about the meandering journey that led her to becoming an illustrator and author, with a little help from Scary. We discuss how she reclaimed her identity, her joy, and her drawing hand. And Melissa explains why it's a good idea to create art, not for a portfolio piece or social media, but for yourself. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I've got my hot water with lemon. Oh, I, good. I'm sitting here with. I have hot water with ginger. All right, let's get let's get going. <laughs> I want to start in Lompoc, okay. which is a town in Santa Barbara County. I recently learned. What was your That's childhood like? Were you just uh, you know going around doing wine tasting, visiting La Priorissima Mission? I mean, what else is there to do? <laughs> I did do La Priorissima Mission. Wait, my um, home is. Uh, just like a mile away from that. But um, back in the day, when I when I lived there, there were no wine, there were no vineyards anywhere that came after, unfortunately, but um, it's a really small rural, central coast town. And the main industry is agriculture, Mm -hmm. vegetables, flower seeds were the flower seed capital. And there's um, an Air Force base there and a white-collar penitentiary. So, oh, okay. not much. And um, Lots to do in Lombok. Yeah. Tourist my, attractions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my parents are originally from Hawaii. And mm-hmm. they came to the mainland for school. And then they ended up settling there because they just really, really loved the weather. Not really thinking of what it would be like to raise a family there I think like they weren't thinking in that way but they didn't think like we're Asian we're yeah. Japanese <laughs> Japanese descent and we're gonna raise two yeah. Japanese Americans a long time ago this is in the 60s and 70s right. and you know uh, people didn't it's not like it is now people didn't know anything about Asian food or Asian culture so did yeah, you... I grew up mainly uh, feeling like an outsider. Mm-hmm. Nobody, it wasn't like I, I mean, I was made fun of in school, but not mm-hmm. bullied. I mean, it was an occasional thing. And um, I was a really, really sensitive, really introverted, shy kid. So I was always aware that it could happen. Mm-hmm. I was always like on the lookout for it. So, um, uh, yeah, it was hard. It was hard in that sense. And sure. I didn't realize it, how much it affected me until I left and went to, to college. Um, and then I went through a period in my twenties when I was re- really angry. How did you process it? Or maybe how are you currently processing it? Oh, I, I think I've processed it <laughs> quite well because I'm 
so much older now. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I went through that period in my 20s where I was really angry because um, when I was a kid growing up, you know, I always wished that I was white because it just seemed like life was so much better and all my friends were white and I had friends who weren't white also, but the majority was white and, and, um, you know, when I was little, I wanted to be an actor, even though I'm so shy and introverted, I used to fantasize about being an actor. And I remember coming to the realization at a very young age that, you know, I could never pass as somebody's sibling. Like I could never be on any of the shows I watched, even though, you know, they have cast members like on happy days, you know, they totally don't look related, but you know, it works. And I, I knew I could never do that. And so I remember um, having thoughts like that. And also in the children's books, I never saw Asians unless it was specifically about um, old Asia, like a, a folktale book right. or something like that. Or, or in a book where maybe they were depicted like it's a book that took place in the city and even that though i know umbrella was out yeah um but i never saw it as a kid i i remember the the chinese seven or six chinese brothers and um the japanese folktale book and that that was about it but i was such an avid reader i was an early reader and my mm-hmm. mother used to read to us every night and i always drew and i I used to just draw all the time and make miniature books. I have a collection of miniature books. (laughs) I write stories. How how old were you when you were making these books? Really young. Like, um, oh my God, they're so funny because the story doesn't make sense. But like um, six or seven, I guess. Were you aware of the concept of illustrator at that age? I was. And I, really? I wanted, I wanted to do that. I was the kid, like people would ask for a picture of something and I would draw it and they'd say, sign it. <laughs> You're going to be famous someday. And, you know, I, they were I, right. <laughs> I'd make paper dolls and design clothes. And yeah, I was, that was my whole, right. whole life. So, yeah, I learned that the Richard Scary best book ever book was kind of a game changer for you. Yes. I mean, that book yes, was published in 1963. Did you have the first edition? I think we did because my brother is seven years older than I am, and okay. I know that was his book. He was an avid reader too, so I think that's also why um, I was so into reading, and they and my parents encouraged it, and we always right. had books. So Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I learned how to read from that book. I, I, I learned how to read at an early age because they, they were, I was always looking at a book. So, um, during that time, I remember when I was in kindergarten, they were teaching, uh, a way of teaching reading, which they don't do anymore because it turns out it doesn't work, but it's called the IPA system and it's based on phonetics. Mm-hmm. And so you would learn that way of reading, and then you would transition over to the regular way of reading. So they would have all the symbols. So the A sound, like in cat, would be a different symbol than just an A. And I remember in kindergarten, I, I didn't have to 
do that because I already knew how to read. Nice. You know what's funny about that book? In 1980, so almost 20 years later, it was revised. I know. To I remove stereotypes. Do you have the Do you have the revised version? I do, and it's it's yeah, it's so funny. And I I read about him. I read he was really put out by that. Like he really didn't want to do it. So oh, don't tell can, me that. I didn't know well, that. I mean, probably it's because it was extra work, and it was something that he did so long ago. But he was put out, so you can tell he kind of phoned it in. Like sometimes he just put a bow. On. <laughs> On, a, on an animal that was a boy before. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> Just well, smack a bow on there. <laughs> but to the credit of the publisher, and I guess, like, I mean, if he's going to begrudgingly do it, to his credit as well, I mean, they changed. Like, it was significant. I mean, they went from, like, it male policeman no, to know. a police officer, female police officer, a handsome pilot to just pilot. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then uh, the other example I remember the hero was... hero saving the girl cat. The, yeah. And the pretty stewardess. Yes. Changed it to flight attendant. I remember seeing another... Maybe yeah. the, it was the same book or a different book where there was like the female partner of a couple was cooking and the male partner was mowing the lawn. Yes. And then they it changed was. it to they it reverse the roles. It was a product of its time. I mean, it... <laughs> But this is like this is 1980. This is you oh know, well, yeah, no, definitely. 40 years ago. So, yeah. um, it was a long. It time. wasn't like last year <laughs> or this year, <laughs> which it sounds like it could be. Which is you know, yeah, good. But to hear that he wasn't super psyched about it, I don't know, bums me out a little yeah. bit. But it's fine. It was changed. Um, I'm gonna just go ahead and believe that he was cool with it. So you know, okay, so like. You're reading early. You're making children's books early. You know what an illustrator is at the age of six. I barely knew what an illustrator was when I was in late high school. Um, <laughs> and so naturally, you go to art school, which isn't what happened. No. What derailed it? Because that, well, that sounds like a pretty natural progression. It, yeah, naturally, you go into art school. But what was the derailing moment? Well, you know, I was, I've been thinking about this since you asked me to be on this podcast and I knew you were going to ask me about my journey and I always would say well I don't think I had confidence that I could be an artist or mm -hmm. I just thought artists could make a living or and that's partially true it, but it's not like my parents ever said that they were very liberal parents well they were they're Asian American, so like, but they don't fit the stereotype of the like tiger parent type right. Asian Americans. You know, they're from mm. Hawaii, and so they they just wanted me to be happy. But um, I I was thinking, what was it? It was partially that because I was insecure. But you know, when I was in high school, I was very actively doing it. Like I first I got my first illustration job when I was still in high school because I won a contest for an ad for a local lumber company and they loved it so much they hired me and I would do these weekly ads in the paper and I was um, awesome. I was doing personalized greeting cards in the department store yeah. and 
you know, uh-huh. all while I was in high school. And so I was doing it. And I think what happened is that um, I went away to college. And my first year, I went to a small liberal arts college down south. And I transferred. But I was there for a year. And I studied art. But um, it's like separating from my town, separating from my parents. And, you know, when you go away to college, you kind of figure out who you are. And, and it was just so mind blowing to me. And I, I remember it was the first time I met like these Asian American uh, women who were, they were like me, you know, and um, I just connected with them. And I, and then I was meeting people from all over the place. It was a very international school. And um, I also changed my name. <laughs> because wow. I, it's embarrassing to say this, but for my entire life, my, my real name is Melissa. But my, for my entire life, I went as Missy. And uh, I, I always hated that name. Mm-hmm. So when I went to college, I decided, you know, I'm not going to be Missy anymore. I'm just going to be Melissa. And I, so I kind of like changed in my head. I changed my identity. I became much more outgoing. And um, I was, I felt so much more confident and alive. And I, and just meeting people from different backgrounds. And, and I really felt like I was seen for the first time in a way that I hadn't as a kid right. growing up in my small town. And, and, um, and then I transferred to um, UC Santa Cruz and mm. ended up finishing there. And, you know, it's such a, <laughs> at least on campus, it was a very progressive place. And it was just, I don't know. I, it's almost like I changed my whole identity, and part of my old identity was that I was an artist, that part of me. And I was right. also discovering um, my heritage because, as I said, I was really angry because I realized, oh my gosh, I've been a self hating Asian person <laughs> for my whole life. And I'm a self hating Italian I- person. <laughs> <laughs> No, don't say that. <laughs> I hope not. Um, I, I I had a lot of anger, and so I kind of went the other direction, and I wanted to learn everything about my heritage. So I was taking Japanese for the first time because my parents never spoke it. They never really learned it because they grew up during World War II, and they weren't allowed to speak it. Mm-hmm. They weren't in the camps, but mm-hmm. you know they weren't allowed to show any... Right. indication that they're Japanese, right? So Ugh. I didn't learn, and I was so divorced from my background. So I studied Japanese, I I, I um, studied East Asian studies with my minor, and through the Japanese, I started studying linguistics, and I, I have always had a fascination with languages, and I, I decided to major in linguistics, and part of it is because the linguistics department at UC Santa Cruz is is world-renowned and at the time I don't know if it's still the case but it was the only place where um, undergraduates could could get like a graduate level training Mm -hmm. in that discipline Mm -hmm. and so I really 
kind of excelled in that area. And then I decided I'm going to do linguistics. I, I want to become an academic. I want to stay in academia and, you know, do research. And um, because I loved, I loved the environment. I loved what I studied. And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. You know, forget this art stuff. Uh, this okay. is the new me. Yep. <laughs> and then, you know, I went to Japan after I graduated through the JET program. And I lived there for a couple of years because I thought, well, I want to get better at Japanese. And um, I thought maybe I would do something related to international relations. But then when I was there, I kind of had a another identity crisis because I realized I would never truly be Japanese Japanese because I was so American and um, I wasn't. Did they treat you? Did they not treat you? I was in a middle ground because they would accept me more than somebody who wasn't Mm -hmm. Japanese American. Like they felt very close to me. But I could never, my my Japanese was just never good enough. I wasn't fluent. And also, I could just tell my, in, within myself, I, I found myself acting more Japanese. Like, on the outside, you know, the mannerisms and all that, which is fine. But almost like a taking on more of the the value system. And it was so different from my American values system. And I kind of like, no, I'm really American. It really showed me how American I am and just (laughs) all the cultural references that I grew up with. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. Have you ever gone to Italy? Oh, for sure. Definitely. I lived in Italy. But I have a very problematic relationship with my Italian identity. Very troubling. Very troubling. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, because it's, I, I you know, how, you can't have more of an Italian name as, as I have. And um, I speak Italian. I understand it, but not as well as I should. The other day I was talking to my wife, Sarah, and saying, you know, I, I need to call Italy more because I have lots of aunts and uncles who are all still alive, but they're all very much, in, you know, in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And they're going to pass soon. And I need to talk to them I, I would feel very guilty if they passed and had not had a conversation with them but this i mean i'm thinking of it i'm talking about it right now and i'm feeling already kind of jittery it, it is a absolute source of anxiety instant spike is it anxiety. because you feel like you should speak italian better 100 percent. yeah 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 me too yeah how is your japanese well now forget it it's so bad this is like <laughs> in the 90s I was there but um it was just too much so I came back and I gave up the well I gave up the idea I cannot be in international relations I I had been in some very awkward situations where I was on television local television and interpreting and just being very bad at it and and people would always be confused by me so I said, I need to go back to the U.S. I need to go to grad school and get my degree in linguistics because I can't, I am not doing this. So I came back and that's how I ended up in graduate school. But then, Um, but 
so like then there's graduate school. So this is, you know, we're now years in yeah, to your so adulthood ten, ten and the illustration of, is like 10 years of not drawing. Right. Nowhere I'm to be found here, here and there, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, I wasn't drawing daily at all. And yeah, 10 years later and nobody knew me as an artist, but so I, you know, I was in this graduate program and I, the people were fantastic. I'm still friends with so many of them. And it was just this amazing environment. It, it's just such an amazing, lovely place. Um, I hear a butt. Is there a butt? Well, but I just look at them and, and I think, gosh, I can't see myself doing this for the rest <laughs> of my life. I just can't. I don't have that passion. Right. And um, that was when I was really thinking back to what I really wanted to do. And I had this thought in Japan, too. I would go to bookstores, look at the children's books, and I would buy them. And so I, ha- I have all these, I had all these children's books, and I would just look at the annuals and um, just kind of pine for that old dream and think, I can't, I can't do that, I can't do that. But then when I was in graduate school and, and living in academia and seeing really what it is, it's it's kind of um, cutthroat. <laughs> so then what? when did you wake up and say, all right, That was I... when I woke up because it was like, if it's going to be like this, I just would rather do something that I love and, right. and then fail <laughs> because I felt like, why fail at something that you don't love? Or why why even go through the process? So I told them, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop out. I'm gonna go to art school. And yeah, illustration was calling. Yes, and the only way I could do it is the with the support of my parents. I just I got their blessing. And they were like Yes, we just want you to be happy. They were so great. Oh, so good for them. But everybody else was like, "You're crazy!" You like they literally thought <laughs> nobody knew I could even draw. They were like, "What?" They thought I was having a midlife crisis. So I I first learned of you right before I left Simon and Schuster for Penguin. Oh really? Hush, little monster was a book that I inherited from a designer who had left. I, yes, I remember. If I remember correctly, you were trying out a new style. Is that right? Yes, I was. It, it was, was something like, I like having to do with line. You were yeah. you were reintroducing line into your work. Mm-hmm. And if what I can't figure out is, I left SNS in October of 2011. Hush, Little Monster came out in August of 2012. Almost a year later, wasn't it close to being finished before I left? Yes, it was. was. So why did it take so long? I don't know. You ushered it through for sure. And And then after you left, it was just the, the you know, the little part. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you decide? What was it? What? I don't ever remember asking you. And by the way, it dawned on me earlier today that we corresponded for this book, you know, through email, but I don't ever remember talking to you on the phone. And and I, we met later, like years later, we met and spoke. But at books of wonder, right? Yeah. But we never spoke. 
We always it was always email, no, right? It was always email. Yeah, yeah isn't that wild? <laughs> it is. That's crazy. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why either. Just get on the damn phone. Talk talk to this, talk to this illustrator about her line work. Why did you? What was it about the new style that you were? What was the impetus was, for that? I was just exploring and trying different things because I had been painting in acrylic in the same way for ten years, and I just, I just got sick of it got bored of it yeah. and, um, mm. but I, that's what I was known for for a lot of my early books and um, yeah and um, when I did Soup Day that was a pretty big departure you know my editor was very open about it and I you know so I just started uh, experimenting more and um, you know doing different things mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of what the story required, um, right? Yeah, required. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I it's just I'm I'm sorry, I'm being a little bit of a I don't know what, but it, it's just this so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Illustrators do whatever you want to do. You're not going to confuse anybody. Just keep your shit organized. That's it. That's it. End of the discussion. This debate is over. Oh my god, it frustrates me to no end. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Back to you. Feel free. Yeah, thanks. I, so, yeah, like... Yeah, I felt really boxed in, but it, it was a box I created. I made myself, like it was a self-created box. It was box. a beautifully illustrated box. Yes. <laughs> um, You said you used to get a little self-conscious at the thought that whatever you sketched in a sketchbook would be captured forever. Captured being your words. You felt it had to be, quote, good um, you said it held you back. What did it hold you back from exactly? Oh my gosh, where did you read that? Oh, I got places. I don't even remember Sources. saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember saying that. You literally said that word for word. Because I don't, I guess I don't remember it because I do not think that now. Oh, good. I completely, yeah. I can imagine myself saying that yeah mm-hmm. oh it's in, it's it's out there it's on the internet oh my gosh wow that's scary the reason I, I, i'm losing my brain cells well the reason i bring it up is because i i've personally have been reflecting a lot on reclaiming joy those two mm-hmm. words reclaiming mm-hmm. joy mm-hmm. for me personally as someone who lives with depression it's something that is an active pursuit you know Before I was depressed, joy wasn't something that I felt I needed to go get. It was always, it just, it came very freely. It was just a part of life. But Mm -hmm. with anyone who lives with depression can tell you it, it isn't, doesn't feel that way a lot of Mm -hmm. the times, if not all the time, after you come across some sort of traumatic experience that plunges you into a depressive Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, uh, a common piece of advice that I, that illustrators hear from teachers and conference speakers and such is 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 this idea of having fun you know so like reclaiming joy having fun with your work with your identity with your the this choice you've made to be an illustrator you know i, I say mm-hmm. it. i tell illustrators i mean i talk to illustrators all day long and uh having fun is, is definitely part of something that oh, I, I, that sounds like something I would say. I definitely have said that, 
But what does it mean? What does it mean to have fun with your work? You know, like if I'm if I'm a working illustrator, right? I have no other mm-hmm. way of you know, supporting myself other than this career that I've chosen to be an illustrator. Maybe I work, there's a side gig. Maybe I work at BNN. Maybe I, I'm a waiter, you know. Um, But uh, this is a serious endeavor for me. This is my career and Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with it. You know, I'm not getting clients or I'm struggling with the medium. I don't know what my quote style is. I don't know how to draw all of a sudden. And then some jerk comes to me and says you know what you need to do you need to have some fun that's what you need to do i would get (laughs) i would be like fuck you (laughs) you know so you do a lot of sketching in your sketchbooks and i've i've read i've sort of heard that you this is a way for you to kind of like do something for yourself and is that what is that the point of having fun i mean where where do you how do you have do you have fun I wouldn't say that it's like, I don't know. I think you have to look at your definition of what fun is. Like it can't be fun like all the time because then you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have anything to compare it to. I mean, you know, like a lot of illustrators that I talk to, a lot of them don't seem to be having a whole lot of fun or experiencing a whole lot of joy with Mm -hmm. what they're doing you know it's a it's a lot of struggle and it's a lot of stress and it's not a whole lot of contentment how does how does an illustrator get to that how do you get to that i don't think it's just illustrators though i think it's just being a person okay in general you know it's i think a lot of it is it just has to do with how how to be happy in general as a person because um life is hard and life is 50 50 and you're gonna have good days and you're gonna have bad days or you're gonna have good things happen and bad things and um it can't always be one or the other i wouldn't use the word happy or fun but um the way i think of it is I notice that when I don't draw just for the sake of drawing, I, I feel worse. (laughs) So, um, and actually it's interesting you bring this up because I have been so busy with my con, uh, you know, on contract work or whatever you want to call book work that Mm -hmm. I haven't done a lot of my own personal work. I haven't made time for it, but, and but when I do it's just better and and um but the thing is is to do it without any expectation I think that's the the big puzzle piece I don't know like I don't know you have to have no attachment you don't have attachment for how it's going to turn out Mm -hmm. how you're going to feel anything but and you try not to have any judgment either but you just it's just doing it's just doing just picking out the pencil just doing and and then you know oftentimes um i find when i do that and i or paintbrush and just paint without any expectation just you're just doing it and you're not 
you're not going to show it to anybody. For me, I have a hard time with criticism because I have a running um, voice in my head, like, oh, that, you know, that color, you know. But it's just normal. Yeah. I'm, you know, can't get mad at yourself for that because it's just, you know, it's yeah. just what we do. And, and it's just what people do. So if you just, I find that when I just take action and just do it, then I end up feeling really, I don't know, calm or peaceful. I don't know what the other word is, but I, I feel whole or something, maybe whole. Yeah. And, and that, and then sometimes when something turns out and it's so much better than you ever thought it would be, or, or there's something in there that is like different and, um, has a spark to me. That's like, Oh, yeah. that, I guess that's joy. Sure. Um, when you surprise yourself, when you yeah. put something together, you make enough good decisions with something and you look at it and you go, did I do that? Shit. Yeah, that's all definitely right. joy. So, right. but it's not like you can have that all the time. I just wish that it wasn't as hard, but maybe that's just, like you said, it's just life. Like, you know, what else are you going to, what are you going to do? That's not hard. Why, why do you wish that it wasn't hard? Uh, cause I see how it stresses people out. Yeah. You know, I mean, I chat with illustrators Monday through Friday all day long. And I would say like 30% of our conversation is centered on their own very negative thoughts about their work. And like their own and how it negatively affects their life. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, I have that too. Every, I think every artist has that. Yeah. I know. Don't you think? I know it. It's, I think it's uh, yes. And I think it is part of the deal, but it sucks. It's all. You can make new habits though. And you could make habits for, you can have thought habits. You can change your, your thought habits because most of us have, really negative thought habits. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so one of the things that I do, it's so corny. I know it sounds corny. Don't diminish it. But I'm not going to because I find that I feel better. I feel so much better when I do this and all it is is looking at all the things that you love, looking at all the things that you're so grateful for. And it can be so small, but imagine you don't have that. And then you're, and then it's like, oh my God, like Mm -hmm. I had to do this during the pandemic because I was so, I was so upset and we never left Brooklyn, you know, we were in the middle of it and in March and April, nobody knew what was going on and. Yeah, we literally felt like we could just die. Same. Like that's how I felt. So, yeah, I would just be grateful that I could breathe that day. <laughs> like, I was grateful, you know. I just kept practicing like all the things because right. otherwise, right, I would just spiral. Is that how you sort of pulled out of your arm injury? Yeah. So that that that. I had to just in my brain rewrite that story because of the beginning story was What's you that? idiot, you idiot. How could you let this happen to yourself? That Wait, you was did it like, to yourself. It wasn't an accident. Yeah. What happened? Well, I over, 
I overworked myself to the bone and I, uh, ignored, I ignored my body for so long and I, um, I was like addicted to being stressed. I was addicted to adrenaline or something. I, that was like my, my daily baseline was <laughs> being caffeinated and stressed out. And I, mm-hmm. I wasn't sleeping. I would sleep like four or five hours a day and be like, this is great. I'm so productive. And, um, I was working out religiously, lifting weights. I would, strength train I used to do a lot of strength training and um I used to play tennis as a teenager and I had some tendonitis back then and I I feel like it was coming back and but I would just ignore it and keep doing deadlifts and you know keep working through the pain (laughs) and then you know, I'd get up at 5, go to the gym at 5.30, do everything, be done by 7, and send my kid to school and then start working at 8.30. And I'd be on the computer without taking breaks with my stylus and just work. Mm-hmm. And work till, you know, 11, 11.30 with some breaks for eating, but and then do it all over again. And I remember... Like I, I had a tightness in my chest and I didn't know what it was. I thought, I didn't know what it was, but I kind of would ignore it. And mm. it was fatigue. I think it was fatigue. But all, you know, I think the lack of sleep and just that punishing work schedule is what did it. And I, when I finally, it was so painful, I couldn't even open a door like turning the handle of a door hurt. I finally saw somebody and um, physical therapist and he worked on my arm for a long time and it just wasn't getting better. So I had an MRI scan of it and we discovered that the tendons of my arm were 50% worn away, but it was like not cut. Like it wasn't like one mm-hmm. Thing that happened it was like just overuse and it was like a frayed rope as he said helpfully so um Ugh. i just had to rest it and i, I try so then i you know but i tried to work with my left hand i learned how to draw and paint with my left hand and did you finish a book with your left hand no i did my sketches though for 30 minutes over Oregon. Did you send your sketches to the art director and they were like, these are amazing. What happened? You were, oh my God, your, your drawings just improved exponentially. What's going on? <laughs> that you're, you're like, oh, damn it. I wish. No. My, <laughs> I, before that could even happen, my left shoulder went out. Oh, jeez. Really what, what was the arm that was, that was, that had the frayed rope? Your right arm? My dominant right arm. So I ended up getting a, um, what's called the pro- plasma rich, uh, what is it? Protein-rich plasma PRP injection. And, and what happened to your shoulder? Same deal? No, my shoulder got better just by not, by stopping doing okay. that. I have had frozen shoulder in the past in that shoulder, though. Frozen but, um, shoulder. Yeah, it's nasty. But I got the injection in my right arm, and, and um, it's like stem cell. Okay therapy but it's using the plasma from your own body 
did you think like you you know your left arm's broken your right arm's broken you're are you are you thinking to yourself like maybe i should get back into linguistics yeah no i no but i was in a deep depression i felt like because then you know my identity was as an artist and i could not do yeah. anything i couldn't even use my finger to scroll my phone like it hurt <sighs> to just make I'm that sorry. gesture any kind of gesture like that so I would just meditate <laughs> and mm-hmm. listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, watch YouTube videos of other people painting. And how, how long did it take you to heal? Well, are you still healing? No, I'm healed. Okay. I was going to acupuncture. I it took. I mean, I still would kind of work. I was doing a books, but. Um, I was only working on one book, so I would take a lot of breaks, and um, I it took a, a, like a year, but after six months, it was a lot better. But I really I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even go shopping. I couldn't cook. Like it was just I felt so helpless. I was so so I was so angry at myself. That was the story I was telling myself. Kept blaming, and I I just yeah it went it pushed me in a whole other course of just reevaluating my lifestyle and right. reevaluating how I was living my life, how I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And it was for the better, really. Yeah. Because I think if I continued like that and I didn't get this injury, I would have um, like an autoimmune disorder or something i know my body would have done something and i it would have been like a chronic thing because it was just so unhealthy it was just a complete disassociation with my body so it was like i need to get balanced you said you learned how to read basically from richard scary i have a quote here for you (laughs) from richard to you it's a precious thing to be communicating to children helping them discover the gift of language and thought. I'm happy to be doing it. How happy are you, speaking of being happy and finding fun and reclaiming joy, that you continue to illustrate for kids? I am so happy. It is something, I told you I do the gratitude practice. That is something I am grateful for every single day because I... I know I've lived through so many years. It's still fresh in my head of, of believing that I couldn't. Like, I, it's still, I remember that, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in my throes of dropping out of school and yeah. starting all over again. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel very lucky. I feel very fortunate. So there are folks listening. What would be one piece of advice that you'd like to share with them directly? Well. Get up off your chair and. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, take care. That was, yes, definitely. Oh my gosh. I know so many young artists, um, like in their 20s and 30s, to me as young. (laughs) Um, Me too. Who are, remind me of myself, like they work so hard and they, they are taking on so much work. Yeah, I think 
your health should be your number one priority because if you don't have your health, you you can't do any books at all. <laughs> so it's so important to get sleep. It's so important to listen to your body and what it's telling you and to take breaks when you're sitting there working. Mm-hmm. I set a timer on my phone and try to get up every 30 minutes and walk around because when you're older, you know, you want to be doing this a really long time. If you're young and you're already doing it, you want to be doing it for a really long time. You just have to take care of your body because it'll catch up with you. Uh, It's not a race. That's something I have to keep telling myself all the time because I have a tendency to think, oh, I'm not where I should be or I'm not where I thought I'd be. But it's really not a race. Like, just enjoy the process. Um, Yeah, just focus on the doing and and try to turn off the constant judgment and try to use it as a meditative thing. It's a gift to yourself to just do something for the sake of doing it. To learn more about Melissa, visit melissaey.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you will receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.